There's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight. Find your next fishing trip made easy on fishingbooker.com and experience the magic of the Sunshine State or any other destination on your fishing bucket list. Book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids. With over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from, planning your next one just got a whole lot easier. Download the Fishing Booker app on the Google Play or App Store or visit them online at fishingbooker.com to book your trip today. Outdoor adventure won't wait for engine problems. Things like hard starts, rough performance, and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel gum and varnish buildup. Seafoam can help your engine run better and last longer. You simply pour a can into your gas tank. Hunters and anglers rely on seafoam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season. So pick up a can of seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit seafoamworks.com to learn more. Welcome to the Wired to Hunt podcast, your home for deer hunting news, stories, and strategies. And now, your host, Mark Kenyon. Welcome to the Wired to Hunt podcast. I'm your host, Mark Kenyon, and this is episode number 418. And today on the show, I'm joined by Tony Peterson to break down everything you need to know to plan your own DIY whitetail trip. All right, welcome to the Wired to Hunt podcast brought to you by First Life. And I am down right now in the great state of Iowa doing some scouting. It's uh, It's been maybe four or five years since I've hunted in Iowa, but this will be the year I'm finally back. So I'm excited about that. And my buddy Tony Peterson is here joining me. Um, we're working on a little project down here and it, uh, worked out well to pair my scouting trip with this, uh, this work that we're doing. So, uh, Tony, it's been fun. Glad you're here. Yeah. Thanks for having me, man. It's been, uh, been a good weekend. I feel like we got a lot done in a handful of days and, um, got to check out some new land, which is always exciting. And I figured this would be a good, this would be a good excuse to talk about a topic that, you spend a lot of time on, but I don't think we've ever taken a full podcast for Wired to Hunt with you to go through your process. We've talked a lot about like your specific hunts, like what happened this October, what happened last November, how did you kill that buck? And you've talked about different pieces and parts of things, but we've never really dove into your full thought process around your traveling hunting style. You do that a ton, obviously. And I do a decent bit of it. And, you know, that's part of what I'm doing right now is planning for a hunt I've got coming up in November 2021. So so that's what I want to talk about. Are you game for that? Absolutely, buddy. I will say, we I got to just lay like a little light tease out here because we're out here working on this project and I'm excited about it. And I, I think, I think it's, oh, I can say this. I think I can say that you are going to be much more involved with a lot of wired hunt stuff coming up here in the coming weeks and months and years. Um, I've, I've kind of sucked you into the wired hunt world <laughs> and it's a beautiful thing and I'm excited about it. So, uh, 
So yeah, folks can look for a lot from you coming soon, can't they? Yeah, we are. We're working on all kinds of stuff right now. Mm-hmm. It's gonna be great. And I'll tell you, I um, I was talking to my buddies last night who live down here, and we were talking about your involvement with it, and how I honestly do think that you know you bring just such a helpful set of experiences and skills from a hunting perspective. Like you've got this wide array of experiences. You've traveled all across the country. You've re- you're really locked in on the public land thing, but you also have done stuff on the private land that for all those reasons, it's great that you're getting involved with what we're doing here, but it's also made you, you know, one of my favorite people to talk to on the podcast. Cause I always know, like I could talk to you about a lot of different things and you can speak to it from personal experience. You're not telling me, well, I saw this YouTube video about how to find this thing, and that's what I do. Um, you've actually been out there and done it, and that's that's a valuable thing. So, uh, so yeah, little hot teas there, big stuff coming. It's exciting. Folks can, you know, of course, follow what we're doing here on Wired Hunt to see it. They could go check out your your Instagram if they want to start following you personally. You've got more updates and stuff there. What is that, Tony J. Peterson? Yep, on Insta. That's there. Um, I don't know. I think that's all we can say for now. Yeah. I think I think the one other thing we could tease is that once in a while you and I disagree on deer hunting <laughs> strategies and styles. Uh, well, that's something we should talk about today. Yeah. And it, I don't know if we disagree. I mean, we, get, we do disagree on some things a little bit. It's more that we default to different approaches. Like I default in a certain way and you default in a certain way. And... I think it stems from like our backgrounds and you know the things we've done to get to this point, what we've seen work. I we should we should definitely talk about that as we get into this because I think a lot of it applies to you know how to think about what you're doing on a traveling hunt. Definitely, you know. I mean, definitely. we were talking about this past weekend just how you have to sometimes force yourself into a different mindset when you've only got six days to get it done versus a season. Or when you're hunting in a certain kind of place or a certain state versus others. So those are all things that that I think we should talk about. Um, so we should talk about here to kind of to kind of lay out a game plan. I want to talk through you know how you go about setting your plans, how you start thinking about things like okay, it's, it's January or February. I've decided I want to hunt ABC place. Now it's the spring, and what am I going to do in the spring and early summer to prepare myself for that? I know we've talked in the past a little bit about your turkey scouting trips, that kind of thing. Maybe talk through some of that. Move into what you're doing in the summer. And then finally, when it gets to game time and you're leaving, let's actually talk through your mindset on these short trips. Your planning, how you start on day one and how that changes by day three and so on. Um, So that's where I want to go. Where are you planning on hunting? in 2021 man this is going to be a you know one thing when you ask me about something like this it makes me really nervous because (laughs) i am just i I have sort of a framework laid out you know but i also can just make a decision on the fly and just go somewhere else and so i kind of when when people reach out to me about hunt planning which happens a lot you know they're they're kind of in a different place if like that's your hunt like if you're going to, if you're like, I'm going to Nebraska for the first time this year, you're going to probably look at that a little bit differently than I would uh, for, for a bunch of reasons, but that's like their trip. You know, yeah. like you're, you're kind of looking at this, this Iowa tag, this is a big deal. I did the same thing last year. You know, you're kind of 
that's that's taking precedence over a lot of stuff. So you're really digging in and trying to make and make make reasons to go scout and just like devote that time. Like that's what most people would do with their trips. Yep. And I feel I almost kind of feel guilty about this this year. I have a I have an elk hunt that's going to kind of rock my September and <laughs> change change my normal plans a lot. And so I'm kind of sitting here going, well, I know I know I'm going to go to North Dakota with my buddies because I love it out there. And so I don't really need to. I don't. I don't need to think about that one too much. I kind of go, okay. Well, we'll pick dates that work for them. I, I don't really care seasonally when it is, as long as it's not, you know, the crazy opener where everybody's trying to kill a velvet buck. Or I know it's not going to be a rut deal. And so I'm going to just squeeze that in there somewhere. And then you know I'm going to do Minnesota and Wisconsin, of course. And I've got a I've got a little pup coming. It's hit the ground. I don't I don't have it yet, but I'll be picking it up in a few weeks. And so I'm going to be building in some bird trips. So like that's, it's it just muddies the water for like a clear whitetail plan mm-hmm. for me. But I've got, you know, probably five states that I'm going to do. And, you know, I, I am going to hunt whitetails out in Idaho too when we're elk hunting. And so that one is, that's sort of a wild card. If I run into them, they're going to, they're going to factor in. It sounds like we might run into them in the area we're yeah. at. And so I just kind of, I just kind of lay out the dates and the, and the states and I go, okay, this is this is where I start. This is where I know I'm going to do. And I usually, this year, other than Idaho, I don't have any like new just going to this state or going to this area of the state that I'm super excited about. And that's that's where like the real planning comes in. If you go, you know how it is. If you revisit a spot, you you know you've got those year or two or three or four of experience, and so you go, I'm starting here. I camp here. A lot of those logistics, you've already covered them in the past. Yeah. And I, I kind of feel like that this year. I kind of feel like I don't have tons of new stuff to think about. So when you were doing new spots, like when you're at that stage with a location brand new, you decided, man, I really want to try Oklahoma for the first time, or I want to try whatever. What looks different in that scenario? Um, you know, the, the first thing still is just settle on the time. And I'm I'm starting to get a little contrarian with some of this stuff because just the popularity of public land bow hunting now, and I I love it. Like I love seeing people out there. It's just you know there's times where it's going to be crazy, and you you know those states. You know Oklahoma's not one of them, but you know those states that have an early early opener are going to be crazy busy. The Nebraska's and the North Dakotas and some of the western states, Kentucky, and then you know the rut. It's just going to be. That's going to be your busy time. And so, you know, in years past, maybe when it wasn't so busy, I'd go, okay, do I want to hunt the rut in Oklahoma? What's what's that time frame look like? And when I when I decide on my trip, if it's November 1st through the 9th or whatever, then I start digging in a little bit and going, okay, where are where are these big chunks of public or where are these where are these like checkerboard types of public land where I know I got, you know, plan A through Z if I need it. And that's, that's when I start digging in. So you, you got to just, if, if anybody's listening to this and they're like, I want to go do that hunt, you got to go, okay, what, what kind of, what's your goal? Like, how, do you want to have fun? Do you want to do an early season hunt on a, you know, food to bed pattern or whatever? Or do you want to do that rut hunt? Then you got to look at the regulations. Like, is there a youth season at the time you want to hunt or any of those, those things that might pop up? Yeah. Do I need to be wearing blaze orange and, you know, dodging bullets here? Like what's, what are we dealing with? That can really change things. <laughs> oh, dude, it can. And, you know, there's there's just so much inconsistency from state to state on rules, you know. And so you just, you got you to know that stuff and go, okay, if I got to take my PTO Halloween through the first week of November, 
it, there's nothing that's going to, nothing's extra that's really going to change my plans or I'm going to show up and really kind of drag down the enjoyment level. So you just got to pay attention to that stuff. Um, you, you actually, you also kind of got to look a little bit too, if you're, you know, if you, let's say you're not a saddle hunter and you want to bring in a, a couple, you know, sets of stands and sticks and, you know, you can't leave them up, right? Like some states, some right. kinds of land, you can't leave them up overnight. If you show up and you don't know that, like, A, you can get in trouble. B, you figure that out when you get there and you go, okay, now I really wish I had that saddle or I wish I had a ground blind or, you yeah. know, just how do you want to hunt? And is there anything prohibitive there that won't allow you to do that? And so that's, and I don't, I don't say any of this stuff to just, I like, I don't want to dissuade anybody, anybody. I just want them to like understand there's a lot that you got to look up and be confident about before you go. That's, that's one of the big hurdles to this kind of travel is just like this seems like such a pain in the ass to get the tags or it seems like too much work to like learn these new rules and, and play by the rules and the you know you might you might go to some state and hunt a wildlife management area one day and a national forest the next and there might be totally different rules and so it's just it's just part of the game right and then you talk about the backside of it if you get if you get lucky and you kill something mm-hmm. you know trans transportation with the you know game animal and the cwd rules and just there's a there's a lot to know but that's just like the slog through the mud stuff. Got to do it. Got to figure it out. The fun stuff is starting to you know, pull up your Onyx and start looking. You know, yeah. start, start figuring out where do you want to hunt. So we talked this past fall a little bit about just how we'd seen things changing on public land a little bit. And you just referenced the fact of how busy it's getting and how popular it's getting, how you're avoiding those you know, most popular times of year. When you start looking at like the the scouting, the finding of locations, you know the 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 typical advice when you're trying to find an out of state location, whether it's public land or even some private land stuff, people will say, "Well, get away from the major city centers. Uh, try to find something big and something that you know has like uh, some kinds of barriers that will stop most people from getting to certain places, so you can find those harder reach spots." Like if I had to look at like the most common advice for finding places, it's that kind of stuff. Now, my question is, it's, you know, it's 2021 post COVID rush of outdoors activities. Does all that stuff still apply or are you having any other kind of changes of mind now, similar to how you're switching up your dates? Are there any other things that are changing now because of the increased popularity of this stuff and you're thinking differently about the p- types of places you want to focus on um it's man it's factoring in there i'm i'm treating this year like it's going to be like last year i think it's just going to be busy out there yeah and it, you know i could be wrong but i think there's going to be a lot of traveling hunters and i still think we're going to see just we're, we're going to see people out there i think it's going to be busy you know and, and the one thing i should say like kind of on that note the the way that i look at this stuff is you know you and i were talking about this yesterday I, when I go on these trips, I don't, I'm not filtering in like, where's my best chance to kill a big buck? Like the, the Iowa thing was different. You know, you draw an Iowa take, you start thinking that way. Cause it's such a, it's such a realistic opportunity. But at the same time, you know, just you get about anywhere and you have that chance. And so I look at these, like, where can I go to have a good deer hunt first? Like where, where can I go to see, like, I love seeing lots of deer. You know, I love sitting on my tree stand and just knowing, even if I don't have a whole lot of faith that, you know, 150 inches coming down the trail, I just love going to places where I know like 
man, I'm around a good population and I've got my shot to, to outwork these deer and make something happen. And that, that kind of opens up the aperture for me a little bit because I don't, you know, like the Oklahoma thing I've, I've hunted down there a few times and I love it down there. And I've actually seen some really good bucks, but it's more about that state is just an awesome opportunity state. It's fun. You see a lot of stuff. You have, you have doe tags, you have buck tags. Uh, it's just enjoyable. And, you know, we, we kind of, we do the same thing with the Western hunting too, where we go, where's my best chance to kill, you know, X, Y, Z type of trophy. And that's okay. But you really, it, it really changes the planning process a lot. And I think it adds in a level of frustration sometimes that's, that's kind of hard to deal with, you know, cause it's, cause it is a low odds game, yeah. right? Like, it, you know, if you think you're going to go to Nebraska on your first trip, and shoot a 150 incher on public land, like you're probably not going to do it. Yeah. Like you might, you know, but probably not. But if you go there kind of with realistic expectations, you're like, I just want to hunt. And, you know, if I see one that trips my trigger, I'm going to be super happy. And you, you go into that, you don't have, like I always say this, but it's like shutting a couple of the browser windows. And you're just like, okay, now where do I find the spot that looks like I want to hunt it? And it's going to be fun. Cause you know, we, we think about this stuff, but if you, we were, we were looking at all this different ground down here in Iowa. And if it wasn't Iowa and you looked at it, if you didn't know where you were, you could still pick every block of timber we walked into and probably say, there's a buck that uses this every day that I'd be really happy to see coming down the trail. You know what I mean? And mm -hmm. so you go show up in, I don't care what state it is. You're going to make that trip down to Kentucky. You walk into the woods, you're already there with a buck that would make you, you're calling the taxidermist probably yeah. plus a whole bunch of other deer and so it's kind of like, that's kind of like a wash. So what do you, what do you want to do with your time? Like what's, what's going to be really fun for you? Like, how do you want to hunt? And do you need 5,000, 10,000, 20,000 acres to get away from people? Or are you okay kind of bumping elbows with I know, a few more folks on, you know, 120 acres if it's, if it's the kind of place you want to hunt? Yeah. Have you, uh, like how have the things you want to hunt have, what am I trying to say? How has that changed for you? So are you now more interested? It sounds like you just want to have, you know, a lot of deer sightings, but how are you shifting when it comes to people? Are you more comfortable around people because it's just happening? Or do you find yourself wanting to avoid more people more often and get off the radar, even if it's less quality deer hunting? I would take less quality and fewer people. Yeah. You know, I just... I just like, I mean, I'm like everybody, right? We just, you know, you don't want to be sitting there and see somebody, you know, walking through or whatever. And it, the thing that sucks, it, it really colors your, your trip in a negative way sometimes. Mm -hmm. And what it is, it's not like the dude who comes walking through, you know, going to kind of hunt the same way you are. It's the guy who drives down the road that's not supposed to be driving or brings the four wheeler into the place. Right. And it just, it changes the tempo of everything, you know? Or the people who are just like kind of blatantly disregard like that there might be other hunters out there. That kind of sucks. But it's just, you know, it's part of the game now. And I'm I'm just if I can if I can get away from them somehow, I'm looking for that. Yeah. You know. So let's talk a little bit about the scouting you would do leading into that. Um you know, I know you do a decent a good amount of e scouting. We don't need to cover this in too much detail, but what are a few of the things that you're thinking about when going through the e-scouting process? Um, I mean, we know the basics. We're going to be looking at maps. We're going to look for, you know, depending on the time of year that you're hunting, you're going to be looking for, well, if it's early season, where do I think the food sources are? And 
Where do I think the other hunters are coming in, et cetera? But what are the few? What are a few of the next level things that you're thinking about at, at this stage in the game for you when you are trying to figure out, you know, what it is you want out of a hunt? What are a couple of the key key factors that play into your e scouting? Man, you know, specifically to this year and the the kind of hunting I'm going to do because I know I'm I'm dealing with a mid season situation where it's going to be kind of that traditional lull or the late September stuff. I'm looking for, I'm not looking for food a whole lot. You know, I, I know that by the time I get to anywhere, I'm going to be hunting the food situation is going to be at least killing something on a food source is just probably not going to happen. Right. And so I'm digging in for those little water sources, those, those, those places that are just harder to access. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm looking for something that I got to work for to get into a little bit. And, you know, it's a, it's a weird thing. Like you and I have been talking about on this trip, we did a lot of, we had a lot of discussions about this before we left. And, you know, there were times where we were kind of like struggling. Okay, what are we going to do? How are we going to do this? And then we get into the woods and it's just flow state. You're just like, oh, look at this, look at this. And you just, you realize that the, the front end stuff for e-scouting and your planning is like so important to just lay that framework and just lay the groundwork of like, okay. I know what's here. I know I like the looks of this waterhole. I know I like the looks of this ridge. Uh, this little swamp back in here looks pretty cool. But until you get in and look at them, then then everything starts to gel, and you just discover all this other stuff. And I, you know, I've been I've been writing about this quite a bit lately, where, I, you know, I get the e scouting wrong all the time. You know what I mean? Like I, I look at something and I will go, "That's my spot." And really what it does is just get me into the woods to look at that spot. And along the way, you find that fence crossing that's pounded or you just, there's something else. And it's just, it's like a, it's just like a trick to get you into the woods sometimes. So you find what you really need to find. You know, sometimes you show up and you're like, holy cow, I nailed this. Like I, I am an expert. I got this. (laughs) And then, but most of the time you show up and you're like that, this isn't, this isn't how I expected it to look. It's way, it's way more open or there's cattle in here. Just it's just not right, but it's getting you in there looking, and in that process of walking and with a little bit of a plan, you go, "There's where I need to be now." Or if this isn't it, I know Plan B better be something good. Yeah, and you know, I think that's part of the that's part of the process that we talked about, where such an important part of any kind of out of state hunt is having a whole bunch of options, and that starts on the e scouting side because. If you can go into a hunt with, you know, this spot and this spot and this spot and this spot, not just like a tree stand location possibly, but I'm talking about chunks of ground or properties or whatever that, you know, okay, this sure looks good. This I think is going to be my plan A. But if you just do that, you have a plan A and you spend a ton of time studying that parcel and you really think about it and you've got all these ideas and then you show up and it's not like you expected and you hadn't had a whole bunch of other options, then you're sitting there SOL and think you're scrambling, trying to figure out, okay, I need to figure something else out. Or the opposite is that you're so wedded to this original idea that you don't even allow yourself to look at other options. Cause you're like, I got to make this work. This was supposed to be so good. And so I think, especially for newer people, that's a temptation that could, could easily lead to a, a rough trip. So, I mean, it's a simple thing, but have a bunch of pre-planned options so that when you go in there to that first place you scouted out online and it doesn't look like you want it to, or you show up on the first day of the hunt and there's nine other guys in there that you can say, okay, no big deal. I've got a plan B. 
and you can show up at plan B and give it a shot. And what this, whether it's scouting or hunting, same thing. Show up, take a look. And if it's not right, all right, no sweat off my back. I've got a plan C. And you keep on going down the list. And it makes that, like that transition from this is what I expected and it wasn't what I expected. Now what? Those moments can be so stressful. They can be so um, paralyzing. They can be, they can really make or break a hunt. And it is a night and day difference. If you find yourself in those moments, whether we don't have other options or if you do, if you do have those other options, it is just, whoop, all right, on to the next thing. Yep. But there's such a, like a, uh, I don't know, not cognitive dissonance, but there's such like a stress that is applied when you're stuck there trying to figure out like what to do next when you don't have something in your back pocket. Yep. So if anything... I think e-scouting is so important just to lay out a bunch of options, even if they're not super well thought out, even if they're not all the very best thing in the world. I think just like you said, like just having options, just having different spots that you can go to that you can quickly be like, all right, next, I've got it, just makes you feel better. And that sometimes makes the difference. Oh, absolutely. I mean, when I, uh, when I drew that Iowa tag last year, I had a, a stupid amount of waypoints dropped. And I'd actually, I had gone in there uh, the spring before I drew a turkey tag down there and I found a spot where I was like, oh my God, this is, this is going to be my ticket. I went in there the, the first morning I was there turkey hunting, hiked way back and it was the, it was the farthest you could get on this property on, on these chunks of public land. You couldn't, you couldn't find a place there that you could go farther in. And it was, it was a haul. I went in there and immediately called in a great big Tom killed him and looked around and I was like, this is where I'm going to kill my big buck when I draw. And when I got out there, when I drew the tag and got down there to hunt, there was a, it was one of the few parking lots that had people in it. And so I just said, okay, I'm going to, I'll just back burner this sucker and I'll go to B, C, D. And I ended up never hunting that spot. I went in there and walked around a, a, an area of it. And it was, it had some potential, but it was just like, it was just not what I expected, you know? And I, I'm telling you, I'm, I'm like way glossing over this. I had my hopes pinned on this. Like I was like, this is the place. And I'd found a bunch of other stuff and marked it, but I was like in my head, like you don't need anywhere else, dude. Like (laughs) this is it. And I never hunted it because there were people there. And the one time that I skipped in, in the middle of the day when there was nobody there just to look around, it just it wasn't this wasn't what I was expecting, but my B, C, and D spots all had really good buck concentrations in it, and I actually killed my buck in my D spot. Like it was like it was good, but it wasn't you know the other ones. Yeah, and I think I think one thing that you realize when you do the, these kind of trips a lot is that you're gonna settle for stuff. Like you got to get comfortable settling for stuff, but like you have to do it in the right way, and so you know you might you might not have the greatest tree take it like a creek crossing you look at it it's pounded you're like i gotta hunt this right now i know they're coming through here but you only got a couple options and all the trees suck so you settle for the one that sucks the least and you know maybe not be very comfortable it may not offer you the the cover you need but it's like this is the spot that's like a good settle right like that's a calculated risk Mm -hmm. but just settling for an area because you only e-scouted one area and you're like well this is this is going to be good enough for me like you see uh 
first time elk hunters do this a lot. They'll they'll look at their unit out in Colorado and they'll go, man, look at this meadow, look at this bench, look at this little wallow. You know, you, they see this stuff and they go, there's no way a bull's not going to show up there. And they go out there and there's no way a bull is going to show up there after day one. Yeah. And they ride it out. And it, that's a little bit different because of the density situation. But whitetail hunters do that too. Like, uh, this is my spot. I'm going to go crawl around these hills and I'm going to, I'm going to arrow one from the ground and you get out there and the density is way lower than you expect. And there's, you know, prairie grouse hunters out there and all of a sudden the whole dynamic changes. And if you don't have, you don't have that life raft built in some other spot, it's, it's tough. Yeah. So I know you do, we've talked about this in the past a little bit, but I think we have to touch on it at least some, um, you know, you head out for a turkey hunting trip and get a little scouting in or for whatever reason, you're able to skip over to one of these places and get on the ground before the season. A couple key things, like what's the most important stuff for you these days with those on-the-ground scouting trips preseason? For me, I used to think that I I wanted to cover every square inch, and then I wanted to pick the tree, and then I wanted to set the stands, and I wanted to be like really, really over-prepared. And more recently, I've shifted a little bit to I'm now, I want to lay the land I want a handful of places that I feel good about this area, this area, and this area. And then I'm actually going to be more focused on, I'm going to show up in season, see what stuff looks like in the season, and 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 make some setups right then and there. I'm not going to make a decision on stands until the season. And I'm going to get in, hunt an observation stand or something, and then move. And I'm, I'm putting more of my hopes on the actual in-the-moment stuff and less of six months ahead of time. That's where I personally am with things. What's that look like for you? Um, a little bit different, maybe, you know, I, the, the Turkey thing, what I'm, what I'm doing on those trips is, you know, a, I love Turkey hunting. I just like going run around chasing turkeys, but it's just about identifying the places that I know I'm going to enjoy hunting. So I, and I, and I talk about this a lot, but like, I think it's really important, you know, this kind of goes back to the, you know, planning around a big buck thing versus planning around just having a, a badass week that you really enjoy and you know like they're not mutually exclusive like you can go have a lot of fun and kill big bucks but i know just from quite a bit of experience if if i go in the camping situation is rough then that's like a that's a knock right like yeah. that's just not as much fun if i have to camp somewhere 20 miles away from where i hunt and uh, it changes the whole logistics i don't like that if it's uh you know, just not the kind of ground that I like hunting for some reason. And so, like, not to just, like, I'll, I'll use a different example. A couple of years ago, Buddy and I drove down to Nebraska. We were going to bow hunt a couple days, turkeys, and then we were going to gun hunt. We were right, we were in the early bow season right on the shotgun opener. And part of it was because we had driven through the year before on a different turkey hunt and just spent a little bit of time in this area and it was really cool like it had, it had the right creek bottoms and it was kind of rolling hills and it was like you just looked at it and you're like this sets up like maybe a fun kind of not a not a deer hunt that we're used to you know not just deciduous forest not ag fields the same way and so we went back and we we bow hunted and sat in blinds and that was fun but when we got out with the shotguns when that opened and we were running the hills then i was like this is just a cool area there's a couple different kinds of properties and it just i was like i could come back here i know the bucks are going to be there's, there's going to be bucks here it's going to be good enough but it's going to be really fun good camping uh, you know you got access to a decent town not 
crazy far away in case you need something. But it just had, and it had room to spread out. You knew you could get away from people. I'm looking for that. You're like, And I know, you know, whether I ever see a deer on there, turkey hunting or find an antler or any of that stuff, you know, you're out there, you see the sign. You know, like, you can kind of get a feel for the the population around and go, is, you know, this isn't a wasteland here. They're here. And so then you just go, okay, should we come back here on the opener? And that's, that that particular spot, we did go back on the opener, and that's where we we arrowed those two velvet bucks back-to-back. In, on that one trip a couple of years ago and it was just the whole groundwork thing was laid out just because we had a fun turkey hunting trip and i knew hunting there was gonna be fun yeah yeah something to be said about that and you know we we've touched on it a little bit when you mentioned you know thinking about what's going to make you happy but when it comes to goals setting goals for these types of trips how is that i mean maybe you've already answered it how is how is your thought process on goals for these trips evolved? That's something that we've talked about at other times. Is I sometimes have been, I often get locked into like one goal, and I feel like you are more able to evolve your your goals sometimes. What's worth talking about there, as far as a couple key things? Um, you know, my goals are they're all over the place. Like I don't. I don't, I don't go into most of my hunts thinking I know what I want, right? Like I know, uh, if I'm hunting Northern Wisconsin and a 110 incher comes down the trail, I'm going to be losing my mind, right? Like if I draw an Iowa tag, I'm not picking my bow up when that deer comes down the trail. I want to yeah. enjoy that because I'm only going to get five Iowa hunts in my life, yeah. you know? Uh, but it's really, for me, this, this is a weird one. Cause it, we, we talk about this all the time where, it's like, I'm going to Kansas and I want a 140 plus. And I was like, you know, kind of joke, like, okay, like 138 inch eight pointer comes down yeah, the trail. You <laughs> like you're not, you know what I mean? But what I, what I found in my life, I, I spent, I, I've been like you, <laughs> let me put it this way. I've, I've been more goal focused and you, you're just kind of wired like that way. Like I, I see it hanging out with you. Like you, you look at this stuff a lot differently than I do now. But back when I was tournament fishing or back when I started out as like a freelance writer and I felt I had something to prove, I was, I was like really trying to stay in that lane of like, what do you got to do to get X size buck dead? And what I realized is I didn't enjoy it as much. Like I burned myself out tournament fishing. I burned myself out bow hunting to some extent where I'm like, I know if I put all this time into this state, I could probably get a crack at a good one, but I'm not, I'm not having that much fun. And what I, I started to just back off of that and just go, where can I go that I know like personally is going to do it for me? And then I started killing more big bucks anyway. Like I started just hunting, like I, I'm, I'm just hunting deer here. And then you see something happen. You're like, okay, well now I'm going to move on that one. Cause he's here and he gave me an opportunity and my success on like big public land bucks, it got better when I felt like I cared a little bit less about killing big public land bucks <laughs> and just having more fun hunting. That is interesting. Could you point to like any actual things you did differently from uh and I guess let's move into the season a little bit. So you're showing up to hunt. Now that you hunt in this kind of way compared to ten year ago, Tony, when you show up on day one for a hunt, how does that look different than it used to look ten, fifteen years ago? Like what's that beginning stage look like now? Traveling <sighs> hunt, you've got five days or six days or whatever. Uh pay attention to all the deer. So when I, when I started, 
my i made the first my like so i grew up hunting a mix of public and private right never killed anything you know very rarely until i got into like later in high school and then in college but even you know when i was 12 13 we would we would hunt public and private never it was rough i didn't know what we didn't know what the hell we were doing but we just hunted deer just like we're going wherever like if there's a deer trail here and there's lots of tracks on it that's where we're gonna sit you know like we weren't like oh here's a big rut you know we we like that stuff but it wasn't it didn't play in and when i when i decided when i went freelance i'm like i'm gonna try to i'm gonna try to kill some big bucks on public land see how this goes like i'm gonna devote my time to this what i what i realized right away was you can focus on big deer in one spot or you can you can focus on deer in a bunch of spots like i couldn't i couldn't do both very well and so i was paying attention like i I found when i traveled i was paying attention to all the deer and that that you know like if you see some does come down across a river but no bucks like if you think about that one way you could be like well that's there's no bucks using that the other way is like i just watched it one night and i didn't see bucks go but i watched deer very naturally come down and use this crossing like how you use that matters and so we often go into these hunts especially if we have these high expectations in these good big buck states and yeah you see some does come out into the you know the beans on this walking area or something you go oh there's no bucks here well you saw those deer do that it didn't mean much because the, the deer you want isn't there i i would look at that sometimes and go i'm just gonna move over there Maybe I'll shoot one of those does, but I want to be where those does came into the field. And then you move over there. And if you plan it right, what you're trying to do, now the does come out and you're like, oh, this is cool. I'm around deer. And then you look back in the brush and, you know, hundred yards away, they're staging back there. And you go, oh, like this now, now the game has changed. I've, I've felt like a lot of stuff has happened to me like that, where just hunting deer versus like laser focus on the big bucks has changed how I bump into the big bucks. Pay attention here because this is a hell of a good service. It's called the Wellness Company. Picture this, okay? You wake up, you got a scratchy throat, you're all congested, you got a runny nose, you got a cough, whatever. And you weigh your options like you tough it out, get sick, take time off work, try to get a doctor's appointment sometime in the next few months, wait two hours at urgent care and sit in a room full of sick, sick folks, or you open your medical emergency kit. You match your symptoms to the doctor-recommended prescription, and you start on the right meds right away. These medical emergency kits, it's not a first aid kit, all right? It comes with doctor-prescribed meds to treat over 39 medical issues. So, on hand, strong antibiotics for infections of all types. Plus, a doctor's easy guide so you know exactly what to take and when. No waiting to see the doctor. No waiting at the pharmacy. It's all in there. Every home should have at least one medical emergency kit. Order yours online in minutes. Your kit will be rushed to your door. Get 15% off at urgentcarekit.com slash eater and use promo code MEATEATER. That's promo code MEATEATER at urgentcarekit.com slash eater. Hey, everybody knows Weber Grills. I've been using Weber Grills my whole life, and check it out. They got a pellet grill, the Weber Searwood Pellet Grill. Now, with a pellet grill, you can smoke, roast, and sear what I like to do on the same grill. You can go from low and slow, okay, on smoke boost mode, which gives you great smoke at 180 degrees, 
or crank this thing all the way to a heat sear at 600 degrees. It's got a full great sear zone so you can put more food on the flame. This, this, this is my way of bull saying If I was going to cook roast one way, that's how I like to do it. Sear roast. Utilize the smoke boost setting to intensify that smoky flavor. Direct flame cooking creates searing, crisping, and browning. Food's going to look as good as it tastes. This grill gets hot in 15 minutes. Cleanup is easy. Cook confidently with intuitive digital controls at the grill and enjoy the sleek, easy-to-use surface. You can also add a heavy-duty rotisserie or rust-resistant griddle insert to up your game. Get fired up for your new Weber Searwood pellet grill. Give me some other other examples like that. Because that's that's a... You're right. You're absolutely right that a lot of people, and I have done this too, you can get laser-focused on just like, what are the bucks telling you? And or what you're waiting to see a mature buck. And if I don't see one, it's moving, going somewhere else completely, paying you know, no attention to whatever I saw from the other deer. What are some other examples of ways you might think that way and apply it? I think I think just like understanding how how random it kind of is. And so like that that scenario there where if you see deer does come out and then you move in and they see a staging area, you move in on them. It, we have this you know, and the hunting media has done a really good job of of you know showing you know different shows where it's like okay we've, we're getting pictures of this giant non-typical he's coming to the food plot you know every time the wind blows out of the east this guy comes in from here and we're going to go in tonight because we got a perfect east wind and uh and we're we're sort of convinced that there's there's more predictability out there than there is and you know you see this with trail cameras too like this this is why trail cameras are so awesome but so frustrating Mm -hmm. like why is this big bastard here only once every three weeks like who knows but the thing about if you hunt deer is you go out there and i've seen this like oklahoma is a perfect example if i just sometimes i just go hunt dumb spots where i'm like i want to fill a doe tag like i want to this looks like a place where a ton of deer come in here to feed in this you know public bean field or whatever and you sit there, and one night it is five does that come out, and the next night there's eleven deer out there, and two of them are Pope and young bucks. Like why? Like what? What's going on there? And if you're not, if you're hunting deer actively like that, and you're just kind of like, I just want to be around deer. Like I want to, I want to put myself in a position where there's deer. Th- those big ones show up, and you see different deer on different nights. Now I know it's different if you're like, you know, you talk about your lease a lot in in Michigan. And you, you get really familiar with those deer, you know, like you, you get to learn that land and those deer very well. And you encounter them a lot. If you're driving out to South Dakota for a five day hunt, like it's, that's an entirely different setup and you don't know who lives there and you don't know who's going to come out. And if you get on that river crossing today, you have no idea who's coming through there in the morning or the evening, or if what you saw last night is indicative of what you'll see today. I just, I love that. So Here's one of these ultimate conundrums um, that ties back to another thing we we debated or just kind of ruminated on a little bit this weekend, which is you're in a situation like this. You're hunting a new place, and you hunt night one, and you didn't see what you wanted to see. But you're in a spot that looks damn good. Like You feel like really confident. This is the kind of spot that something should move through, but it didn't happen on day one. Um, One frame of or one point of view might be move, keep moving until you find them or you hunt day one and it wasn't the way you want to be, be mobile, keep them on their toes. 
don't let these deer figure you out. You got to keep moving. So that's like one philosophy. But then there's the other philosophy, which could be, you know, you just, they're random. Deer movement's random. Maybe you're in the perfect spot, but the bucks and the deer just happen to not be there tonight. If you were to wait it out and hunt it again the next day, or if you were there on day three out of the, of the, you know, the next one, here it comes strolling right along. So how do you think about these two approaches, like the staying mobile and always moving versus a volume approach where sometimes you're in a place that you just got to ride it out? Uh, do you like, does that, does that kind of dichotomy enter your, uh, your mind throughout hunts? And how do you think about that? Yeah, it's all about what you believe, man. Like, I, I think, you know, obviously like the most obvious example there is the rut hunt. If you, if you get on a, just a killer pinch point or something and you're just like somebody in the next couple of days is coming through here, then that's, a, that's a different scenario and, and a good one. Like, you, you know, I've, I've done that. I did that the last time I hunted North Dakota during the rut. I mean, I found a spot was, that was just like, it's, it's gonna happen here. I just got to put in the time. And I had entire dark to dark sits. Like the day before I killed my buck, I sat dark to dark and I saw a forky. But I came back, I sat there four days and I killed a buck on the fourth day. Yeah. But it, it was because it was a setup, right? Like it was, that was the trap that was going to work. You know, other times it's just how much do you believe it? You know, like I, I kind of, if I show up to some public land and I give it a morning and an evening, uh, or usually an evening, then a morning, uh, if it's just not humming and I don't believe it, I'm gone, you know, but if it's kind of dependent on the, the density of deer, you know, if you're in the big woods of Wisconsin versus someplace that's got a ton of deer or it, what are you on? You know, like what's, what's the sign look like? You might've just had a night where they just, it wasn't, it wasn't right for that spot. But what if you're on this like bang an acorn drop and the signs everywhere, like are the acorns still raining down? Then the deer is still going to come. And it, the same thing happens like with a water setup. You know, I talk about sitting water all the time. Some deer out there are going to go drink every day in one of those ponds, like, or, or come down to that little Creek crossing. Like, you know, you might be able to, if you don't feel like you're blowing them out of there, keep riding that sucker out. But it's like a, you know, like, do you have your faith? Cause if you don't, then you're going to start moving around. And if you don't believe in it, you know how that goes. Like it hits 11 o'clock in the morning. You're like, this sucks. I haven't seen anything. You start moving around, you're on Facebook. And then all of a sudden you look over and there he is. Mm-hmm. And it's just, it's a headspace thing and it's tough. And if you're, if you just need that new view, go ahead, go take it, you know? Yeah. So what do you say to the guy or girl that doesn't have the amount of experience you have to know, you know, if they should be confident in this spot? So someone who's been doing this a handful of years, but they're like, God, I mean, this looks right. I think. But they always end with that, I think. Yeah. And they they don't have the ability to say the rock solid shore. Like in that kind of scenario, how do you how do you proceed? Would you err in one way or the other? Um, so I think you and I talked about this quite a bit yesterday. And it kind of reminded me of something. I was I was sitting here last night and I thought about it was you know, we talk about buck sign all the time. We've been looking at every freaking rub and scrape that mm-hmm. we've seen, and we're in Iowa, so we've seen a lot of them. <laughs> But the, the interesting stuff is sitting there looking through these woods, which are pretty open and seeing that freaking pounded trail mm-hmm. going through the woods or seeing like a couple of the fence crossings we've walked up to. It's like, holy cow. Yep. And so I would say like, if somebody's new and they're heading out there wherever, and they're going to do this trip, and I hope you do, like one way that I get a ton of confidence in a spot is just how pounded are the trails or like how, like how sometimes you walk to you've seen this like on a a western river you'll find a crossing and there's like a sandbar you know like there'll be a 
a few different like river features where they cross. It's not just a straight across thing. They'll work their way out and, mm-hmm. and stay in a little riffle or whatever. And some of those sandbars you get to, you look at and you go, oh my God, there's a billion deer tracks here. Like that's, I would rather have that than the biggest signpost rub ever. Cause that tells me just lots of deer are coming through. And if lots of deer are coming through, one of them is probably a good one. Yeah. And it made me like, we, you know, I'm scouting turkeys with my little girls right now. And where we have our blinds set up and I've got some cameras out are just the places in some of these fields and on some of these roads that are pounded in tracks. Because I know that just like, okay, that's just a concentration of critters coming through here over and over again. And it's, it's elementary stuff, but it, it will put you in a position if, if not to kill that buck you might want, maybe to see him or to see, you know, you might go out someplace in the beginning of October and see a bunch of does and scrappers cross this river crossing or, or travel through the hills somehow. And it's just very consistent movement. And you go, man, if I was here during the rut, who's going to be doing that same movement? And that that kind of information, that kind of experience, like I think it's just so valuable. Yeah. What about key things as far as the features that you're looking for on these trips? Because you made a comment how you don't pay attention to food very much anymore because it's just getting pounded by everybody else but you do tend to like water. Can you elaborate a little bit on any other things like that or any specifics when it comes to, you know, for someone heading out for this kind of thing and they're trying to start wrapping their head around like my focus areas. Um, Again, like we hear food, you hear look for buck beds. We hear um, get away from people. Uh, But a lot of this stuff is, it's kind of generic and it's hard to like really wrap your head around this, especially if you're on the newer side of things. So are there any like specific types of things you might say, man, uh, like I'll, I'll give you, I'll answer your, my question for you with an example. And like <laughs> you said yesterday, like you really like a water source that's hidden and in the cover. Like, do you have any specific stuff like that that could be on someone's list of, man, I should keep an eye out for these couple things. Uh, just, Anything that the deer might use every day of the season. So the, the food source thing, I mean, I don't mean to minimize that because it factors in. You know, I mean, you go out to, I don't care where you are, some random chunk of public and there's ag nearby that you're thinking about that. Even if you can't hunt it, even if it's not on the property, you can hunt. You know, that's where X amount of deer are going. It's a destination food source. And that just, you just put that in like, okay, I know this. This is, this is something I can absolutely know. I can't use it any other way than they're going to be going there in the afternoon and coming back in the mornings, right? Mm-hmm. And so, what do you, you got to find something else? And so, like, I I like the water source thing because oftentimes people just kind of overlook that, and they they would rather be close to that bean field edge, or they would rather be where you know the corn just got chopped across the fence line. But the little water source thing. You know, I mean, those deer might use that every single day. It's not massed. It might not show up. It's not going to show up one week and be gone the next. It's just consistent. The same thing with river crossings and the same thing with, you know, terrain features that really funnel movement. Like we always look at that as a, you know, a rut thing, but man, they, there are, you know, you you look at this, this ground that we're in right now, it's kind of bluffy. And there's these these hillsides, and some of them have like a hard limestone bank type thing, and some of them have these washouts where the deer just they go low or they go high, and you know those deer go low or high when they're traveling there in September and October and November and December and January and every you know it's not just like this is going to happen one week and not not the next. Mm-hmm. I'm always looking for stuff like that, and if you find something like that, 
which you will if you if you do enough boots on the ground and enough e-scouting, then you might, when you're out there, get clued into that acorn drop or some other kind of just here today, gone tomorrow, food source or browse or something like that that could that could really get you somewhere. And so it's just a, it's just a matter of like well, play the odds. If there's a if there's a, just a banging trail going down this hillside because they can't go up over it, that's a start. Like get get on the downwind side of that, see who comes through, and see what else you observe along the way. Yeah. All right. So to to get us to like a really clear example of something, and you're gonna have to do some like word painting here for people so they can understand what we're talking about. But look at the stuff we walked over the last couple of days. Think about what we've seen. Can you describe to me, like, if you had one day to kill a buck here, and we'll say in the rut, like, where, describe your favorite feature, your favorite spot we've seen. Like, describe that as, a, as an example so we can see, like, one kind of thing, like you're describing that you really loved and how you would set up on that kind of thing for a traveling hunt. So I would go to that spot with that community scrape with the vine hanging over it mm. and the fence crossings. Yep. So this this was a the only thing I don't like about that is you're close to the property line. But the thing I like about it is you could get deer coming off of that property that are heading in a direction where if you shoot them they're just going to keep running that yeah. way. But what this was is these are very open woods, very open, and they they actually make me a little bit like anxious. Like I feel a little <laughs> nervous just even looking at them. But yeah. you can stand on this fence line and look into the neighbor's property, and they've got the thick stuff, and there's rubs everywhere clear staging type stuff and so not only do you have a pretty obvious bedding area you've got this little kind of uh neck down i don't know if you like a really subtle ridge kind of thing that has three trails coming out of that into the stuff you can hunt and all of those trails if you're on one trail you might be able to shoot the other two they're close enough together and they're all tied to fence crossings and they're all pounded. Mm-hmm. And there's a community scrape right there. And so it's just a hub spot. And because of the way the the some of those draws in there, some of those ravines lay out, you could probably weasel your way down through a bottom. It would be it'd be like a little family circus looking <laughs> at your route. <laughs> yeah. But you might be able to get in there early, early in the morning. Yeah. Probably spook some deer. But if you had to do if you if you could do it right, and I think you could, you could do an all day sit in there and that place just it's got the right cover it's a transition zone it's covered in sign and it just forces deer movement Mm -hmm. yeah and that that ridge that you're describing is the one consistent corridor where a cruising buck could cover a long distance without having to do some major dropping down drainage and coming up like there's a lot of these different knobs and drainages on either side and then there's one big main artery that runs to the middle that is is not uh, disconnected, and that ridge is is where this happens. So yeah, I really like that too. You got to believe this stuff's gonna happen there. Can I pick a plan B? Yeah, yeah, do <laughs> it. So the last spot we were in yesterday that had that little shoot where that big buck track was. Oh yeah, there's like a. This is a such a highly situational thing, but it reminds me of where I grew up in southeastern Minnesota. There's like a giant. Uh, rock bluff on one side not giant but big enough and then on the other side 20 yards away is another big rock bluff mm-hmm. and on the top is crp and woods and on the bottom is a little bit of pastured woods and then a cornfield mm-hmm. and the trails going through that little gauntlet like it was like if you could 
bring in a giant bulldozer and make a funnel that's what somebody did 25 years ago yeah. and they're just you know it's such a such a tight window for them to cross through there and they clearly were and then you've got some parallel trails on top and the bottom it's one of those situations where you play the wind right in there like if you see a deer and he's kind of working your direction he's probably going right through that shoot so it's one of those ones where you could set up a you like you could set up knowing your shot is probably going to be right there 20 yards mm-hmm. away that was a cool spot yeah yeah that whole area there was really nice yeah. unfortunately i can't hunt that one. Oh yeah <laughs> <laughs> but uh but yeah that's um those are interesting places for sure I, mean, I am excited to get back and start getting after these now you mentioned in in spot a how that area was just so open on the side that i could hunt and that's the same thing that I was talking to you about. It's like, that just made me uncomfortable. Like how, why would there be big bucks moving in daylight through wide open timber like this? Now this is, this is private land that I have access to on these locations. So it's, it's one other thing, but I'm talking to some friends that have hunted in this general area and they're like, I know it looks weird, but they're in here. They're moving through in the daylight. And it got you and I talking about how sometimes I bring my Michigan mindset to other states and I overcomplicate things. So I come bringing all of my Michigan uh, fears, my Michigan anxieties, my Michigan worries about making the wrong twig snap and having 17 deer go running in the other direction. Um, like I'm operating on eggshells every day in Michigan. And then I come here to Iowa and my buddy's like, oh yeah, that big wide open timber, there'll be tons of deer in there all the time. There's big bucks roaming in there. And I'm like, how is that possible? And and you said that sometimes you felt the same way. Like we bring these different mindsets to locations where it doesn't translate. And we can actually, we need to be a little bit more flexible or adaptable with our mindsets because we'll sometimes miss opportunities because we overthink things. Yep. I mean, to explain your perspective on that. Like maybe I did a roundabout way of trying to describe what I'm talking about here. No, 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 no. You're, you're spot on. I mean, I do the same thing that that the how open these woods are here that we've been walking through is just wild it's just but it's a it's a testament to just iowa in general that they can have good hunts in there because you're right like there are a lot of places where if you had that woods it wouldn't be that great like it just it just wouldn't be and so you gotta yeah you kind of got to look at that and go okay well i got to work with what i have to work with and if it's if your permission is on these open woods what are the bucks going to show you you know, I mean, I still think that little public land chunk we looked at has a lot of potential yep. just because it's not, it didn't look like anything we've seen around here. Yep. Uh, but, you know, you go into those woods and it, the one thing about those woods is if you set in, set up in there, you're going to know what's going on. You're going to see, there's no way you're going to blank yeah. in at any given time in there. And so it's just a matter of dealing with what you've got. You know, I mean, you, you had another thing where some of these properties have been the available cover has been bulldozed off uh-huh. and so they've shrunk and so you're showing up with that like that this is that's just like whitetail hunting man you just if you don't own it you show up and there's always different stuff you know you're dealing with ag land and and timber production it's just you know it's you you have one expectation you show up it's different but th- those woods and that you know bring in your home mentality to it like that kind of goes both ways, right? You look at that and go, I'm terrified to hunt here because I feel like I'm going to get busted. Well, you know, you have people who live here who say you're not, and you're, you know, you're probably not if you set up, right? 
but that the other way that goes is somebody from you know the southeast or you know Pennsylvania shows up in Kansas and thinks this is going to be a slam dunk and you still I was I was talking to Randy Newberg about this the other day like about really good tags he's like people think they draw that once in a lifetime tag for x unit or y unit or you get that Iowa tag and you go this is going to be a slam dunk I hunt way harder deer than this right. like you still need effort commensurate with the tag and so it goes both ways. Like you can be too cautious sometimes when you show up and the deer are different than like, like this scenario with you and the Iowa bucks. Yep. But at the same time you can get too cocky and be like, well, dude, if I can kill bucks here, yeah. I can show up there. And all of a sudden you get out there and it's just a different ball game. Not a cakewalk. Yep. But, but the big thing is that it's, and it's not even that the deer here are going to be easier to kill always, but it will be different. And so that's a big part of the process that starts early on. You're not only trying to adapt to hunting pressure or you're not only trying to adapt to where did I see the deer? Where didn't I see the deer? But it's also figuring out how do these deer operate? How do they react to hunting pressure? How do they relate to their habitat similarly or differently than what I'm used to back home? And like, that's something you need to get a sense of at least quickly, I think, and, and, and adjust like so much of these traveling hunts. Like if you had to distill it down into anything, like one core uh, set of philosophies. It's like observe, learn fast and adapt and do that over and over. And like, you got to quickly adapt, 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 watch. What does this mean? Adapt, watch. What does this mean? Adapt. If you can do that, you can have success on these kinds of hunts. But the, the, the opposite to that is something that a lot of folks, and I have been guilty of this at times too. It's like, the opposite is what'll doom a trip like this, which is get comfortable, something feels nice, you're enjoying, like, ah, just a nice spot, sit it out, wait, or paralyzed by not knowing what to do and think, well, I'm just going to stick with this because that's what I know, or stick with this because what my buddy said to do, or or whatever. Like, the lack of adaptability will sink you on these short-term trips. Like, you just have to learn and that's that's why I think this kind of hunt. If somebody was asking like, how can I become become a better deer hunter, and I had to like provide them the secret blue pill that's going to provide them a way to become a better deer hunter, it wouldn't be like a fancy new call. It wouldn't be a set of camo. It wouldn't be a thousand dollar, ten thousand dollar lease. It wouldn't be any of those things. It would be going a bunch of one week trips to different places you've never hunted before, and right there, the forced set of activities that come with having to go to new places and watch learn adapt watch learn adapt you do that and you actually get out there and do that you're gonna get better i mean this is this is the 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 ticket that's the ticket yeah it's just experience man yeah you know i i I was thinking about this last night with this and we keep talking about how open these woods are here and that one of the farms that i hunt in minnesota when i started hunting it was like that you'd sit in one and it was a great turkey hunting woods you know, you'd sit in it and look from one end to the other. And what we learned even way back, I was in high school when I was hunting this first, was that if this if there was corn standing, and there was always corn standing on top or the bottom somewhere, that's where they bedded until the corn got picked. And it actually got way harder to hunt when the corn got picked because those deer, it seemed like, and it's 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 circled back to this. It got logged and now it's getting really mature again. It actually feels like when they pick that corn, those deer move out because it's just not doesn't work well so 
what we deal with was, and this is early season, this isn't rut stuff, obviously, but you you would know those deer are going to be bedded in the corn, and they're going to they're going to just stage through that woods and go up and feed in the beans or the alfalfa or vice versa. You know, you'd play it morning or evening, and that's what this looks like here. And I, I just think about this. I'm like, this is this is probably I don't know four or five hours from where that is. It feels like the same scenario. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so, like you said, if you get on these hunts and, you know, I see stuff hunting in northern Wisconsin, which is different than most of the whitetail hunting I do, then I still go, yeah, of course they came down off of that ridge and crossed right there. Like, it's the same thing that you've seen in a western whitetail state that isn't anything like, the, you know, like on paper they're totally different, but you watch it and go, uh, I've seen this movie before. Yeah, you start to notice, like, patterns of behavior where it's like the color, like the the, speci- the specifics might look different, but there's this general underlying consistently where you can match up. Oh yeah, this kind of feature actually is a lot like that other one. And and you're right. Once you start, it's like that saying, like seeing the forest for the trees. Like sometimes you can get so focused on the specifics, you miss the bigger picture. Yep. If you can, if you can put yourself into enough positions like this, you'll start seeing both. And if you can see both then you'll actually understand what the hell's going on. Yeah. Big There's time. something there. Um, what else is important to you? Just, I mean, when it comes to these short-term traveling hunts, and we've talked about got to be able to adapt. We've talked about you need to have a lot of different options so that you can adapt quickly and, and feel comfortable with that. We've talked about being careful not to bring all of your problems from home with you. And again, being able to adjust to what's actually happening there on the ground. Um, is there anything else? Is there anything else when it comes to that side of things that's worth throwing out there for people that are going to try something like this or are wanting to? And there's probably a lot of folks out there who have tried these things. They've heard about it for years. They've gone out there and done it. And like, man, this is it's not working. Yeah. Well, I would say, you know, kind of what we talked about when we got down here. You know, you've got little kids. I got little kids. There's always this weird excitement and guilt. You know, when you, when you go on trips, you're, you're excited to go, you're sad to leave your kids. And, you know, that's one of the reasons I really like a turkey trip or some other, it's just a scouting trip where you camp for a couple of days. You kind of get to take your own temperature as far as like, how comfortable are you being gone for X amount of days? And you, if you take a guy like Andy May and you give him three days somewhere, there's probably going to be a short blood trail and a trophy photo. Like <laughs> the dude's going to go kill something somewhere. Most people aren't going to do that. Yeah. But if you have five, six, seven days, you got a you got a real opportunity. If you can if you can get into the moment and kind of leave some of the BS from work and family behind and just go, I'm here, I'm gonna enjoy this. My buddies are here, we're gonna work together, we're gonna we're gonna do this. You can get a lot done in five, six days if you're capable of doing that. Like some people, you know, you might go on a two day trip and they're homesick. Like it might not be their thing. Or, you know, so just kind of learning, like, how comfortable are you driving 10 hours and setting up a camp and not taking a shower for five days and, you know, living that lifestyle? Mm-hmm. That's that's a big part of it. Yeah. What do you say to that person who <laughs> has seven days budgeted for their trip and they get to day five and it's just not been going well, they're not finding deer, they're like, ah, this is, this is sucking, I've been gone from the family... I know my wife's irritated. My kids miss me. And I think a lot, like I've certainly gotten to these points on trips. Like, God, part of me is like, I just, I'm just going to call it 
cut my losses, get back to the family, get some brownie points, all that. So there's one side that says that. There's the other side that would say, stick it out, push it to the end, leave it all on the field, because uh, it could all change in the last two minutes of the last day. You never know. Where are you at on that, on those two options? And has that changed for you? Stick it out. I mean, but that's that goes back to just like if if you're enjoying it, you're gonna want to stick it out. Mm-hmm. So so do these hunts in a way. Try to try to do them in a way where you're having fun. You know, it's the single minded focus on the end result often takes away from the fun. If it's like I don't want to go back and tell the guys at work that I didn't kill a big one mm-hmm. when I drew my Kansas tag or whatever, that's hard to overcome. But if you're just out there and you're just like, man, I. This is so cool sitting in this river bottom in western North Dakota. I can't believe I'm here. You ride that out to the end. Like you do this stuff enough, you do get those last second kills. I mean, I've had I've had times where I was like, well, you know, this is I'm just running out the clock now. I got 15 minutes left. There's no way. In fact, I had that happen it, when it when it first happened to me, it like taught me a really good lesson. So I was in Jeez, this was probably like 2011 or something. I was in North Dakota and I'd killed a big buck the year before. I think it was the year before really easily. Like I was like, oh, I got this. This is no problem. Next year went out there. I oh, had, had shorter time. I think we had four days and we had three of us and we just were not, had other people on us and it was just not coming together. It was not fun. I had, you know, two babies at home, you know, just like, it was a tough trip, right? And I just remember the last night nobody had killed. And usually we go out there, if there's three of us, you're gonna get one or two deer, you know, maybe three on a good year. We had nothing. And it, you know, it's like, Jesus, you know, we we really we flamed out on this one. Yeah. And I remember sitting there and it was just the most beautiful night. And I was sitting on a crossing and up river, my buddy was sitting on a crossing, and down river, my buddy was sitting on a crossing. I was like, Man, how how, how is this not happening for one like right. we are we're on these things, but I just had the sense of like, this, this is not, it's over, but it was like such a beautiful night. I'm just like, I remember sitting there going like, hey, whatever, like, that's cool. Maybe I'll come back. Maybe I'll try to swing back in late October or something. And I just looked over and here comes this eight pointer down the trail, 15 yards away, quartering away. And I shot him and he went and tipped over. And I was like, what? Yeah. Like what? <laughs> and, it, and actually my buddy got a shot that night too and missed it. I think he missed one or maybe he didn't passed one up or something. I can't remember. But it was just like, I, I, in my head, I was like, there is no way. And then, you know, the last second, I had it happen in Oklahoma one time on a buck too, where it was down to like the last couple minutes. And I'm like, well, you know, we got, we got a doe piece, saw a ton of deer, whatever. And then I hear that coming down the trail. He runs right in on the trail. He's supposed to, I shoot him, he runs and tips over. And it's like, holy shit. I cannot believe that just happened. You know, so it's stick it out. If you're if you're having fun, you will want to stick it out. Last minute magic, <sighs> that's possible, man. And that's uh, and then you've got to call the wife and explain why you're going to be home later than you thought. <laughs> oh, dude. Well, <laughs> we're tracking tomorrow. I mean, you know, on those last last minute shots, like take the one you know you can make, mm-hmm. and then be real confident that you can piece one out, and you know, cut the skull plate off, and do whatever you got to do to get it home. You yeah. know. Speaking of that, any last minute lessons learned that you've um, little little tips or things that have helped you when it comes to all of those other end of the process type situations? Like, 
recovery, processing, getting the animals home, getting the meat home. You've done this a bunch, traveled all over the place. Any things you've learned on that front that have made that whole deal easier for you? Because we're going to assume that everybody's going to listen to this. They're going on these trips. They're going to be successful. There's going to be yep. tens of thousands of people bringing deer home. <laughs> Let's help them out. Give them, give them a few more ideas here. To how to uh, Again, to dude, just confidence. So if you've never, if you've never, you know, field dressed a buck, if you've never pieced apart a deer good enough to get it in a cooler, do that. Mm-hmm. Figure out how to do that. Like, I, I just, I grew up, that's, that's what we always did. Like we never took our deer to a butcher, you know, it was just my dad's like, here's how you take them apart. So I, I have the luxury of having been taught that. And so I get, not everybody has that. But that it's not a difficult thing. If you can get with somebody who knows how to do it and see them do it one time or they can walk you through it, it's a huge benefit. You know what I mean? That's, that's one of the reasons I love getting people into this. Like that, that seems very intimidating, that part. But when you, when you walk somebody through it, it's not that. Like, mm-hmm. Take the insides out, like piece them out. What, yeah. what do you not want to eat? Cut that off. You know, <laughs> like it's not, but it's, it's tough when you haven't done it. And those are the kind of things, it's just like not being comfortable with your saddle setup or not being comfortable with your stands. When you get out on these trips, if you don't have that, that comfort level, and there's only one way to earn it, right? Like you got, you got to do this shit. But the more you do it, the more you go, like that, that anxiety level, the nervousness, like that goes away and you can just enjoy it better. Mm-hmm. It's like anything else, like first day on the job versus two years into it. Yeah. And so just get exposure to that. And that, that's one of the reasons I just, you know, if you're at home, I think it's one of the reasons why a lot of people quit bow hunting or deer hunting after a few years. They get in, especially the young male crowd seems to do this a lot. They get in and they think they're going to kill a bunch of big bucks and it's going to be awesome. And it's hard. And they don't get the experience actually drawing and aiming and shooting deer, does, whatever. They don't get the experience of blood trailing. And so you you kind of skip a lot of those steps that make you a person who can own that process. And the more you own of it, the more comfortable you are. And so that goes for the back end stuff too. Like that's, that's a big deal. And of course, like have the tools, right? Like have, have good knives, have a cutting board, have a way to just like, and you don't need to hang them up. You know, like a lot of people think that you do. And if you have the opportunity, yeah, you can hang them up. It's mm-hmm. a good thing. But we cut up so many deer on the tailgate of our truck, you know, kind of like you would piece them out just, or mm-hmm. with a tarp on the ground. I mean, there, there are a lot of ways to do it. And if, if you're listening out here and you have new hunters around you, help them out with that. Like that's a, that's a gift that keeps giving. Let, let's end with this. You mentioned um, a scenario where a lot of people like get into it and then realize it's harder and it's not coming together for them, and then they quit. So for someone listening, and I think there's there's probably a decent number of people out there. I've gotten messages from a lot of people out there who have gotten into this thing. They like the idea of it. They like the stuff. They've been out there trying to hunt. They've hunted a bunch. It just hasn't come together for them. They've hunted for years and they've been watching too many hunting shows and all that kind of stuff. So they feel they need to shoot a 130 inch or 140 inch buck or something. That's what they want to do. So they've been hunting and hunting and hunting for years. Hasn't come together. They haven't killed that first big buck yet. And they're kind of like, what the hell am I doing wrong? I'm hunting the pinch points like they say I should. I've got my grunt tube. I'm, I've gone to Kansas. I tried that. I've done all these things. I've got you know, hundred acres on my buddy's land I can hunt and we put in food plots and we run trail cameras and uh what am I doing wrong? I mean there's so many different possible things that could be going on. But if you had any like 
without knowing any details, if you had to make some assumptions and you could give them like one thing to think about, what would that one thing to be? Yeah, well, ask yourself, are you enjoying it? Like some people, they just want to target a good one and if they don't get it, they're totally okay with that. Mm-hmm. If you're not having fun uh, and you haven't got that first 140 yet, like maybe go kill a bunch of little ones. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, I mean, really, what, what you see happen there a lot is People get into a crowd, and this is, you know, we do this to people a lot, like unintentionally, but if you bring somebody in, that's like a, that's a virtuous thing, right? Like we're bringing somebody into the fold. We should be doing that. The problem is, is if you kind of, you kind of usher somebody into your group that's at a skill level, you know, that's not up to Mark Kenyon's experience level, there, there's like a natural thing that happens where they want to compete. Especially guys do this. Mm-hmm. I think women are better at this because they're not idiots like we are. Like we, <laughs> we, we have to. We 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 fight our egos a lot, right? Mm-hmm. But if you get somebody in who just accepts, like I don't know what the hell I'm doing. Like I'm, you send a fawn by me, I'm shooting. You send a forky by me, mm-hmm. I'm shooting. Those people, they they tend to do it long term, and they tend to blossom into somebody who can get that shit done. Like I've got a I've got a really good buddy who I got into bow hunting and probably. I guess 14, 15 years ago, and he's always had a great attitude on hunts, like and, and a low standard guy, right? And last year, he's he's got a place in Minnesota he hunts in addition to traveling with me, and he uh, he killed his first good, he killed a great like one hundred and forty some inch buck, like twenty inches wide. It was like just unbelievable. And this was something like if you knew this guy five, six, seven years ago, you'd be like, no way, like there's he's never gonna get there. Yeah. But I've just watched this progression and a big part of it was like his willingness to just like, I'm just open to not being very good at this and getting better and his attitude. He was just always like, let's just do it. Where where are we going? Like, you want to go hunt here? You want to go hunt there? Every day you get up, he's getting up. Like he's, that's so important. And it's, it's hard to be that way if you're frustrated with the results all the time. And you know, like, you and I have been talking about investing a little bit just randomly in our conversations. And there's like, uh, there's so much of this like psychological stuff, right? Like if you, if you ask me about like, it, it it's kind of something like I geek out on, right? The first thing I want to tell you about is Apple when I bought it. Cause that was a winner, right? <clears throat> I don't want to tell you about the ones I lost my ass on, <clears throat> you know? And so if you're paying attention to this and you're, and you're listening and it's like easy for us to condense a ton of kills into an hour, hour and a half conversation. We're not talking about, you know, the, the, the mistakes that outnumber those by like orders of magnitude. Yeah. I mean, you screw up when you go out there, I make mistakes every single time I hunt mm-hmm. literally. Yeah. It's such an important thing to remember and to bring up. Yeah. And it, you just, you're not going to get it. Like you, you, you go watch a THP video. You're going to see the highlights. Like you go, you listen to us, you read an article highlights 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 but the reality is is like if you're out there getting your ass kicked in the woods you're exactly like every hunter out there Mm -hmm. like but you go get your ass kicked a whole bunch and every once in a while (laughs) you know the light shines on you and you go okay i got one good one out of the way and then you go back to screwing up and screwing up and screwing up but eventually you get a little more consistent on the success and that's it right there i mean that's screwing up and screwing up a little bit less and learning and then screwing up and then screwing up a little less and learning and just keep on doing that and eventually comes together. I, I like that's the recipe for getting good at anything, man. Mm-hmm. That is. That is. I guess that's a good place to wrap it up. 
So uh, thank you, Tony, for coming down here for working on this project. I'm excited for people to see this stuff soon. I'm excited for people to hear more from you. Um, I wish we didn't have to be so vague about it. Maybe we don't even need to be vague about it, but we're going to be for now. But stay tuned, folks. we got some cool stuff coming up. Uh, be sure to uh, be following along with what Tony's got going on. You're going to see a lot more of him, and uh, I'm happy about that. So, Tony? I am too, buddy. Thanks for everything, man. Absolutely. And that's going to do it. Thank you for tuning in. Appreciate you spending some time here. I hope this has inspired and helped inform you on what you need to know to get out there and plan that first trip. Like we've been talking about, you uh, you won't regret it. This is a great way to expand your boundaries, to learn a lot, and have a lot of fun along the way. So until next time, thank you and stay wired to hunt. Outdoor adventure won't wait for engine problems. Things like hard starts, rough performance, and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel gum and varnish buildup. Seafoam can help your engine run better and last longer. You simply pour a can into your gas tank. Hunters and anglers rely on seafoam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season. So pick up a can of seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit seafoamworks.com to learn more. I'm sure a lot of you guys remember the old ceremonial hunting tradition of eating the heart out of the first animal you kill. Meat from those organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. You can get those same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil. Find out more at heartandsoil.co. And remember, use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase.